Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. With me, as always, is Paul Muadib from Cast That Movie. Paul, how are you doing? Um, we're back. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Um, been about a month, but yeah, no, we are back. We're about 95%, almost 100. So we're, we're, we're golden. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I have not watched any Twin Peaks in between. Uh, it was also, it was a nice kind of like a little break away from it. Uh, considering all I've been watching this summer was Twin Peaks in the office. It was nice to switch things up a little bit. Uh, agreed. I did not watch any Twin Peaks in this time off because I wanted to, like we've been doing it, I watched it the day of. So I took a, a week, off, a month off and... Um, that was nice. I will admit it was kind of a nice break, but I was ready to come back. Yeah. And boy, do we come back into uh, <clears throat> quite an episode that has a lot of going a lot going on more than I remember, which was kind of surprising. Uh, considering the episode before before this, we both felt it felt almost like a, a placeholder episode that just kind of slowly moved the story along. This one kind of uh, I don't remember it doing this, but it kind of shoots things out of a cannon a bit. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't remember it doing that as well. I didn't quite remember that it plugs so... I, I remember, again, I haven't watched it since it aired, and I I could have sworn this was laid out a little slower, but no, this is like an episode that has a lot in it at once. Yeah, so what we're talking about is part seven. Uh, there's a body, all right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a body, all right. I love that title. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so we started off, uh, kind of unusual with, uh, Jerry Horn high as fuck in the woods. <laughs> Man, I lost my car. <laughs> I don't know where my car is. <laughs> Calls his brother on his cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> David Patrick Kelly will always be amazing to me. <laughs> I think this was an amazing opening to the episode. Yeah, I mean, you're not really expecting it. Considering the last episode, I believe it ends with, you know, with Cole and Albert bathed in blue talking about a blue rose case. And now, hey, it's Jerry Moore. <laughs> In the woods talking about his missing car. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit, so funny. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I am. Jerry, and then he hangs up on Ben. <laughs> and, and then we kind of get back into, it's this kind of like is a weird because it starts off pretty hilarious. And then like we kind of get into like, oh, remember that scene in Fire Walk With Me where Annie shows up in Laura's bed and tells her to write it in her diary? Well, we finally get that diary piece as Doc mm. and Truman are going through these missing pieces they found in the bathroom. So this is where we start to see that time does not, is not linear. I mean, this is, if we, if we, we've talked about it where we felt like, you know, there's been things pointing to the time not being linear in the lodge. This right here is proof. Like, this is the fact that Laura is talking about Cooper and Annie, two people she's never met. Um, and talking about the good Cooper and Hawk is awesome because he's putting it together like, 
well, what happened to then who came out? Like, who was that Cooper? Yeah, yeah and Frank's pretty, like, <clears throat> for a law enforcement kind of guy, you know, because they're usually, like, hard evidence sort of situation. He's pretty, like, he's kind of following along, and I think we've, we've talked about it a bit, like, you know, I think the old time timers and twin peaks on the police department are more attuned to the log ladies, uh, uh, cryptic, uh, notes. And, uh, when we brought, when we brought up those notes in the bathroom, I remember saying it was like a fan theory that Leland hid them. Uh, I totally <laughs> forgot that. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I'm like, we thought that was a fan theory. You know, that was from the episode. Yeah. So you're absolutely right that we basically they confirm that was during one of the times that he was brought in for questioning that he hid them in there. Yeah. And again, it's uh, it's it's suspicious because Cooper and Annie are two people who have not been to, never been to Twin Peaks while war was alive. So, so yes, that's kind of disconcerting. <laughs> so I want to go on a tangent for a little bit, if we may. Um so what do you think about that? So here's something. We know that time doesn't really make sense in the Lodge. So here we have Leland, essentially in season one, with these pages of the diary, knowing that essentially he's going to win. Does that, to me, that almost changes the whole dynamic of the show. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh Hawk, and this is the thing we were talking about too. Hawk brings up these pages were also missing from Harold Smith's when they found the diary at Harold's. Mm-hmm. Meaning that also brings a new level of like now, like it gives more credence to my suspicion that Leland might have gone there and destroyed the place looking for this diary and yep. maybe even killed Leland. Or not Leland, fucking Harold. Maybe, yeah, no, it does we bring don't up. We don't that. know, but it gives a little more evidence to that. That's uh, And it, it, the reason he pulls it out of the diary is it's, it's the hard evidence saying, I know it's him. It's, I know who Bob is. Yes. How? Yeah, but however, again, he, he you know, now, because, I mean, Bob didn't know who Cooper was till he came in, right? So again, he has these four pages. Yes, it does say, I know who it is. It's not Bob. I know who he is. But it also, again, tells him that he's going to basically win, that Cooper, the good Cooper, is going to be locked in the lodge. So again, it just, it, it like I said, to me, it kind of changes the whole dynamic of the show in terms of like what Bob knew and how Bob was going about his plan. Yeah. I think... Uh... And again, we don't know how far into the future the lodge entities know, but mm-hmm. you know, Bob see that Bob doesn't seem like a long term planner. <laughs> he's just kind of like in the moment. So I'm thinking, even like at that, he sees he he won, he was victorious. Uh, he kind of just goes about it, his plan anyway, because he the, to be victorious, it's like the Bill and Ted thing. He has to get Dale in the lodge, so it's just like, well. Old, he'll just go to the future and sneak Dale into the lodge, and then <laughs> right. So yeah, no, it's really, really interesting. Like, 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 just kind of the idea of how the lodge entities operate and like what they know and kind of the time and just how much they're kind of fucking with 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 humans. And you know, I, I, when you think about it in terms of what David Lynch is kind of talking about, um, you know, and kind of the metaphors and things that he makes. 
I was trying to think about what is the meaning of of that particular and uh, thing, and I think it goes to kind of his idea of destiny, of um, you can't escape what is destined to happen. I think it's kind of was is one of the things that Lynch is trying to say here. Yeah, and we've brought up the comparisons before <clears throat> to Slaughterhouse Five, and that kind of plays into that too. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Pilgrim knows what's hap- going to happen in the future and in the past. And it, it's set in stone, so he can't even change it if he wanted to. Yep, yep. And I think that's kind of what Lynch is is getting at here: is no matter how much you fight, no matter what you try to do, what is going to happen is going to happen, and you have to just rely on the journey. And that's Which, uh, part of my theory of the ending of this ser- series too. <laughs> but we'll get to that when yep. we get to that. So, okay, so I just wanted to go on that tangent. So let's continue with the episode. Okay, well, uh, so we get a moment where Frank calls Harry. Uh, Harry's not doing well. It's this little, you know, little, it's a short scene, but it kind of lets us uh, know that uh, Harry S. Truman is not, uh, he's not well. And this is actually, and this is followed up by, uh, Andy doing some doing some groundwork. The tr- <laughs> finds the truck that kills the kid. Killed the kid. Uh, that was uh, what's his uh, Audrey's son. Yep, Richard Horn. Richard Horn. Yep. And this is who I believe is Billy. That's what I was gonna say. I think that's Billy as well. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's Bill. I think it's Billy. He lent Richard the truck. He's scared for his life. He doesn't want to be seen talking to Andy. Uh, we get. We'll find out why uh, later on in the series a bit. It's, so I think it's like a two or three episodes after this that we find out like Richard doesn't leave a lot behind loose ends. Mm-mm. So no. Uh, no. yeah, so Billy's rightfully frightened and he wants to set up a rendezvous with uh, Andy where he can talk and not be seen, talking to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so they have to meet in two hours. I like how David Lynch was like, he's like, meet me in two hours. Like, we have no idea how time works. And even in the regular <laughs> return, because there's things that I believe kind of happened in the past. <laughs> right. So it's like, oh, thanks, David. Yeah, two hours later, <laughs> shows up like eight episodes later. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know when the two hours is. But yeah, Andy, Andy, you know, I will say Andy's, Seeing Andy, he's really grown into into his police role. He's he's doing a lot better than what he was twenty five years ago. He hasn't grown into that haircut though. Holy man, he's got or a that, nice... <laughs> or that gut. He does not do well with a gut. <laughs> well, you know, time, time. I, I mean, I can't say much. I got a gut I mean, now these days, yeah, but, either, but but I'm not tall and lanky. <laughs> We're fat shaming Andy. <laughs> we're fat shaming Andy when we're fat ourselves. Fuck it, eh? Uh, uh, let's uh, let's talk to like what probably is one of my highlights of this episode is we get one final scene with Warren Frost, uh, Mark yes. Frost's father, playing Doc Hayward via Skype with uh, Frank Truman. You know, do you know what Skype is, Doc? <laughs> yeah, I used it a while ago to to diagnose Mrs. Whatever's uh, eczema. Wow, no HIPAA laws with you, is there, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of with that one. I'm like, wow, no HIPAA. All right, good to know. 
Yeah, it was good to see Ward. Uh, when they filmed this, he was toward the, his last days. Uh, I believe he had dementia. Yeah. This must not have been an easy thing to film, uh, especially with somebody. I had grandparents with that, and, uh, you know, it, it's touch and go, but it was good to see him. Uh, and he yeah. gives us some insights of when he brought Cooper to Calhoun Hospital. Yes. He does. And, you know, he, he talks about how he went into the ICU ward. And who was in the ICU ward? Agent Cooper. Agent Cooper. Yep. And who else, though? Who else was there? Audrey. 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 <laughs> yep, that, that horrible bank business. Yeah, she was in a coma, as we mm -hmm. uh, briefly discussed during our uh, Secret History yes. uh, podcast. But yes. uh, the the implication <laughs> here, I remember when I first saw this, I was like, oh, no, he raped her. He mm -hmm. raped her. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's where my head went. That's exactly where my head went. I'm like, oh, shit, he raped her. Yeah. Yeah. And he also brings out, he's like, he, he saw, he also mentions like Cooper had that strange look on his face. You know? Yeah. Uh, it seems like he... Uh, Doc Hayward noticed something was wrong with Cooper after that night in Ghostwood. Yes, and he makes that up, that, that strange face. And, um, you know, he tried to call to him, and he wouldn't respond to him. He just left. And, um, I, you know, I think about, look, later we'll, we'll, we'll see the look I think he was giving him, which is the one that he gives Diane when he's in prison. Yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, Mr. C's a predator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Bob, you know, uh, monsters. Uh, but, you know, it's good to see uh, Warren Frost again. I love Warren Frost. He plays uh, plays Susan Ross's dad on Seinfeld and he's yeah. <laughs> with his wife, who's also Grace Zabriskie. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. No, he does. And yeah, he was, um, uh, yeah, talking about his passing. Um, he passed away, uh, unfortunately, um, earlier that year, bef uh, before the show was actually aired. Um, he passed away on February 17th of, uh, of 17. Yeah. So a couple months prior to the show being aired. Yeah. Uh, great, great actor. Uh, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I love him, but great, great actor, but we have to move things along and we meet, uh, uh, Air Force Colonel, whatever Knox, Knox, Cynthia Knox, yep, Cynthia Knox, and uh, setting up a meeting uh, with Mackley in Buckhorn, South Dakota, because the Prince, because of the Prince, and she's wondering where they got the Prince from, and uh, she finds out there's a body, all right, <laughs> <laughs> there's a body, all right, uh, uh, and you know we've been kind of dancing around this, but I think with. Uh, Air Force people and the fact that her superior's name is Davis. It, this is, uh, we finally find out and inexplicably that uh, Major Briggs has been found decapitated, but his body's still in his late 40s. Yes, yes, yes. It is basically confirmed that this is Briggs and that the, the Colonel, um, uh, Colonel Davis, is going to have to call, um, you know, obviously who we assume is going to be uh, Cole. Um, to explain to him what's going on, but yes, and this is what throws her off. She finds it super weird. Um, that you know, first of all, she didn't expect to find a body, she just thought the prince came from something because that's 
apparently a pattern that's been going on. And then she verifies with uh, with Talbot that it is a man in his 40s who just died in the last week when he should have been in his 70s. Yeah. And uh, so she's basically, holy shit. And she goes in the hall to call Davis and let him know that it's more than Prince this time. It's a body and it's very, uh, like we said, the age doesn't match. And as she's talking, we start hearing this intense humming noise. And we (laughs) see something for the second time in the series, right? A fucking woodsman. (laughs) A fucking woodsman walking through. Why do you think the woodsman's there? Uh, well, they, they've just discovered Briggs' body, so I'd imagine. Uh, last time we saw Briggs was when he was a giant floating head. <laughs> well, he was in the, the space box or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Lodge entities are afoot now in Buckhorn. More, well, we've already saw the one in the jail cell. Now we saw right. another one walking, walking yeah. by. Uh, she sees it, which is like means that they can see these things. They just yes. don't pay them any mind. They probably just think it's some bum. Yeah, well, you, I think she was visibly concerned when she saw it because she wanted to get away from there. She went back in the room. Um. So, yeah, no, they are... Uh, they Now she needs to stay there and keep the body uh, under wraps. Um, so that's what's going to happen there. Then we jump to why, why I know that they're going to call that next is going to be Gordon. Who's talking to Albert about how his meeting with Diane went. Oh, say this, the scene starts pretty, there's a lot of Easter eggs here. Mm-hmm. One is, uh, he has a framed painting of corn mm-hmm. on his all. And it pans to uh, the White Sands explosion of the, the A-bomb. There's a giant mural painted behind him while he's uh, whistling a Ramstein song. <laughs> yes. There is a lot of Easter eggs going on in there, and I fucking love it. And in walks a not-so-amused Albert. <laughs> Did not go well. <laughs> Did not go well. <laughs> She told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> what was it? He said, when she asked me, this is about Cooper, isn't it? I said, yes. No fucking way. She said, no, fucking way. No, <laughs> no fucking way. So I ended up back home with, almost with pneumonia. <laughs> how'd, your, how'd your evening go? <laughs> so basically, he's, Albert's uh, balls in your court, uh, Gordon. You you have to you have to do this. Uh, uh, Albert... Then says he need, he wants El, he wants Cole wants Albert to come with him now. Balls in Cole's court. He wants Albert with him, <laughs> and we get this nice exchange between uh, Albert and Cole, uh, where we see Albert doesn't buy all of uh, Cole's bullshit, uh, not being able to hear nonsense. <laughs> I love that part. He's like he's like say please what. You heard me. <laughs> like, like a meek child, please. Please. <laughs> so awesome. So we get to Diane's apartment where she just got done banging some dude. <laughs> Way to go, Diane. Right? Right? You got this, Diane. And uh, she's not thrilled to see them. 
No, she keeps telling him, fuck you, Gordon. Fuck you, Albert. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love Laura Dern as this character. I really do. It's amazing. Um, she doesn't get a lot of talking, but I just love the attitude she gives. Like, you, like you just believe that this is how she really feels. <laughs> yeah, and we don't ever... I can't remember seeing Laura Dern in a role like this. You know, mm-hmm. where she's like, she's in control of the room, like... She doesn't take shit from anybody. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I just, is this, it's, it's great seeing her like as this like super confident character. It's just like, I don't want any fucking anything to do with you people. Yeah, it's great to see. It's absolutely great to see. And she's, she does it so, so well. Um, but, you know, Gordon knows how to talk to her um, and gets her to kind of come along and, <laughs> And they're on the flight and they get the prince and how the prints don't work. And we get the, the really interesting, we know that Preston's not in the blue rose yet, right? They're grooming her for blue rose. Yep. Uh, uh, Cole at one point, uh, when she's pointing out the reverse prince, uh, Cole repeats the Yurev. Mm-hmm. Uh, the backward word he says, um, which Cooper relayed to him, uh, is, uh, you know, and the spiritual finger is the one that's reversed. Uh, and he tells her to think about that. <laughs> I know. I'm very happy. I'm happy to see you. Very, very happy to see you again. And he pulls on her fingers and is like, this one's the spiritual finger. So you think about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this is like, uh, and, <clears throat> this scene here and the scene before it, uh, this is where we, I, you know, I, I, when I first watched, I realized, uh, while we don't get a full Cooper, we get a Cooper stand in and Gordon Cole. Uh, he does the damn good coffee line in uh, Diane's apartment. Uh, he's the quirky FBI man. So I, I like that. And the fact, so like Cole and Albert are kind of like our stand ins for Harry and. <laughs> Yes, the original series. And I love this. I, I love this, love this, love this. I would have loved to have seen a show with just Albert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Albert Al- Cole Mysteries. Yeah, the Albert Cole Mysteries would have been amazing. Um, <clears throat> because it is fantastic. So we know that she is not thrilled. Diane is not thrilled to no. see her in this prison. No, and uh, they show and they bring up the only known photo of Cooper, uh, a hilariously uh, Photoshop of Kyle McLaughlin in front of Al Capone's old <laughs> former home. Yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Um, and so they they bring up the picture and they go to the prism, and. She is visibly shaking when she's getting ready to see um, um, Cooper. And uh, he asks, you know, we basically also get the gist through their conversation. Because he asks, when's the last time they saw each other? Which was at her house. She asks if she remembers what happened. If 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 he remembers that night, he'll always remember that night. And you basically get, you know that he raped her. So, not only is Mr. C a notorious killer, awful, but this guy's also a serial rapist. This guy just rapes. 
You just rapey, 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 rape. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's this is a her the because her face tells us this. Yes, is, she's doing some like sh- this is award winning acting to me because uh, you just you just get it from her her shaking and the look in her eyes that you know this man hurt her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we don't need an exposition dump on what happened like we know what happened based off her facial mannerisms and all that it's her, her it, pantomiming it's it's, it's it's pantomiming and it is brilliant and it just it's so unsettling to watch and you like you know and up until this point you really don't have a reason to like feel one way or another about diane she's almost like comic relief and then you really feel for her at this point mm-hmm. oh god she's reliving a trauma right now and what you brought up earlier, Mr. C has that look on his face. Yes. And I think that's the look. That's the strange look that he gave. Because, <clears throat> you know, going back, you know, watching this thing, and I've been taking a break for a while. I always, you know, I, and I watched an interview actually not too long ago um, uh, with, with Kyle McLaughlin talking about um, his roles with David Lynch. And, you know, he doesn't, Kyle McLaughlin himself does not look like, Mr. C, right? It's this weird thing. I don't know. I don't know how he did it, but he doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's the weird spray tan and the goofy coif. Yeah, but it's also something like with the with the mouth. Yeah. It's something his eyes, like, he's wearing black contacts too, which <clears throat> make his eyes black. Yeah, maybe that's what's throwing me off is the black eyes as well. Um, but yeah, he. This is not. This does not look like the Cooper that we knew. Not. I mean, obviously, again, the spray kid, all that stuff. But I mean, just the way his face. He's holding his face is not Cooper. The way he, way Cooper holds his face. And she has and, a very interesting line too. Like before she shuts the thing, she yells, "Who are you?" Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not. Uh, I'd imagine this is probably the exact same thing that. The night he attacked. This is not the Cooper who is doing, you know, the the door calisthenics like we saw in the missing pieces <laughs> of her office. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's not. And again, this episode as well goes back to why you need to see missing pieces, right? Um, it's just it's so important. Um, but she eventually closes the thing. She can't handle it anymore, and Gordon gets the sense that something happened yeah and starts consoling her and have you know and i know i just noticed this the first he doesn't like when she hugs him he does not put his hands on her no he doesn't that was a that was an interesting especially like with sex assault victims you know yeah you don't you don't touch that was like an interesting thing i've never picked up until i saw this Yes, he, David Lynch, God, I love how progressive David Lynch is, honestly, and just how seriously he takes shit, because you're exactly right, he does, and that's what you're taught, don't hug, you know, don't, don't touch them, just let them have a place to to console themselves on, and that's exactly what he does, and then we cut to uh, Cooper telling how how does this guy do this? Like he's just like you tell the warden that I want to talk to him about a strawberry. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry if I was a prisoner, I'd be like, yeah, fuck you, buddy, and just walk away. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I was wondering about that too. Uh, I mean, that guard has no incentive to do that for Mister C. Uh, 
<laughs> There's no reason, but he does it, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit off to me, but yeah, we're going to go with it because it moves the story forward. And, um, but we cut back to Andy, who's supposed to be meeting Billy. Yep. And uh, he's over and get a gist of what happened to Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his house is his, 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 uh, his, the truck is still at his house and his door's wide open. <laughs> so, ominous music playing. <laughs> yeah, we know something didn't go well. And again, what we know of Richard Horn, he wasn't going to let this slide. Um, so Andy leaves, <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, then we get the Mr. C's with the warden. Yeah. Such an interesting conversation. Yeah, basically, like my understanding is Mr. C hired goons to kidnap his dog. (laughs) 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 He got off a leg, you know, like, you know, to prove that they have it. He's like using this leverage against him. But there's another thing they also bring up, and it's uh, a Joe McCluskey, which I don't think we ever hear about again, but it just seems like. There's a connection between the kidnapped dog named Stra- Mr. Strawberry <laughs> and Joe McCluskey, whoever the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the, he goes, he goes, yeah, he found the one dog leg in my trunk. The other three were sent out to people who could pose a threat of anything bad would happen to me, and they'd have information you don't want to get out. And he's like, how do you know? And he's like, Joe McCluskey. And all I could think of in that moment was Tropic Thunder. McCluskey! <laughs> what it is, McCluskey? <laughs> oh. Yeah, so Mr. C's leveraging the, whatever the dog leg in McCluskey means. <laughs> we don't know. We never yeah. find out. Never find He says, I don't, he's like, I don't care about you. I don't, you, I, you will never hear from me or about our late friend, Mr. Strawberry. I don't give a shit. Just give me a rental car cheap. Which is which is a kind of a Cooperism in a way, yeah. <laughs> and for him and that fucker Ray, <laughs> that fucker Ray with a friend in the glove compartment, and they comply, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. Meanwhile, finally we get back to Dougie Cooper, <laughs> hey, Lucky Seven Insurance, Lucky Seven Insurance, and Janie's waiting outside, and Janie is impatient. <laughs> oh she, yeah another great role here with naomi watts man like her like being like another headstrong uh lead female character just again i love her i love jamie so much uh <laughs> you know she's there uh and, and uh sizemore's characters in dougie's office like would you would you what were you telling bushnell what are you telling mullins like <laughs> Yep, and Dougie's and Dougie's not saying shit. He's just drunk. By the way, I also want to bring up that this is still the same day. Again, we haven't been around for a month because of my because of my surgery, but this is the same day. Janie just got done talking earlier that afternoon with the two fucking guys and totally fucked them out of their money. And, and now she's there to get done. I mean, she's had a hell of a day. Yeah, she's in no mood for this, and she storms into his office. Uh, and, well, no, she doesn't storm in yet. Cooper's nope. doodling, and uh, the uh, couple detectives show up. One of them, David Keckner, who I fucking love. I love him. Uh, and we have this, uh, yeah, yeah, we've had him on uh, the Office podcast, right? We've had him on the Office yeah, podcast. He, yes. he, is, 
Todd, Todd Packer. Packer. Yep, Todd Packer. Yep, Officer Todd Packer shows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and they're talking. They want to know more about Dougie's car. And what I love is Dougie's just not saying shit, right? Like, just he's still not, nothing's clicking there. And Cheney's doing all the talking for him. And it's so suspicious. And then Bushnell comes in and he's like, but you found the car, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, guys, you guys found the car, do you? And it's just like my favorite is they ask, uh, where's the last place you've seen the car? And Janie just yells, if we knew that, we would know where to find it, wouldn't we? <laughs> God damn it, Janie. Yeah, I love that. She's just so flustered and just done with the day. It's amazing. And... Um, yeah, so they find out that hey, it's been stolen by you know it was it was blown up by these um, by a car theft gang, and they're like, well, there you go, motherfuckers, <laughs> like let me go home, and like you know, um, Todd Packer wants to continue pushing, and the other guy's like, oh, we'll worry about this at your convenience, right? Yeah, it was like I love it, like well, there you go, thing. That's such a Midwestern thing like just to end a conversation like well there's all the evidence you need well, <laughs> yeah, well there you go we're done here well there you go <laughs> well there you go it is a midwestern thing well there you go oh. and um bushnell wants to continue talking about the files but then is also intimidated everyone's intimidated by janie at this point like well I'll just deal with everything tomorrow go home oh yeah and they start walking out uh we the music starts getting more ominous and this is god this is one of those scenes, and this is it, it operates as one, it's fucking hilarious. Two, it's fucking weird. Yes. Three, it's a red herring to us thinking maybe Cooper's coming back. <laughs> it operates at all these levels, in that as they're walking out, Ike the Spike comes running. <laughs> running out with a gun. Ike the Spike comes running in and is gonna shoot, and Cooper. Fucking goes ninja mode, man. It's awesome. <laughs> Is that like muscle memory, you think? With uh, yeah. It has to be because he like he disarms him like full on FBI mode, law enforcement guy, like <laughs> he karate chops him in the throat twice. Jesus Christ. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the bubblegum tree shows up. Yeah, he's <laughs> his hand off. Yeah, he just pops out of a crack in the ground, like <laughs> The first time I saw that, I thought like maybe I was having an acid flashback or something. What the fuck? The bubblegum tree, the the arm is fucking aching. Coupon squeeze his hand off. Squeeze his hand off. And he comes pretty close because the cops are taking statements after this. Ike runs away. Uh, Yep. After two karate chops in the throat, uh, he's probably not feeling too well. Uh, and we see uh, part of his palm is stuck on the gun. <laughs> stuck on the Jesus Christ! How hard was he pushing on him? Oh. I mean, holy shit! Could you imagine? Oh man! Yeah, that's and, uh, <laughs> that scene is just—it's hilarious and crazy. And again, it worked. So, like, we see Cooper in action. Like, oh shit! Cooper's back. Nope, he's still Dougie. It was just like muscle memory. <laughs> yep, yep. It was just muscle memory. Dougie's, yeah, it was a red herring, totally. And um, so a couple of things happened there. You see Janie look at him in a romantic way that she hasn't looked at him before. Um, up to this point, I caught that. And the other thing, 
is all the interviews. <laughs> I love that. Just that he took the time. He smelled funny. <laughs> he smelled funny. Yeah. And, yeah. And with the Janie look, this is like, uh, first time she's probably ever seen Dougie take action. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like stand the ground or something. I'm sure he's <laughs> the Dougie, what we saw in the beginning of the series before Cooper comes in. He was just kind of a schmucky son of a bitch who just like a pushover uh, obviously with his uh, dealings with the Sizemore character that doesn't surprise me so yeah she's kind of like she, she's got the fuck me eyes going yeah she does she's got the fuck me eyes going speaking of fuck me eyes <laughs> going back to the great <laughs> northern <laughs> oh yeah what I used to say they're still using the b-roll from the pilot <laughs> of the, how it stinks the exterior of the fucking great northern <laughs> yeah they are it's it's still the pilot B-roll, which is amazing. Um, there's a weird hum, and Ben and Beverly are trying to figure it out, and they are getting awfully close to each other. Yeah, it, it, this is also a weird... Uh, Ashley Judd, pretty big actress, like, just not a huge role, but, like, I like, I like her character, Beverly. Uh, She's, you know, she's obviously wanting to sleep with the boss and the boss. And we, again, this is like a different Ben than we know, because in the original series, he'd, he'd be all over that. Oh, God, yes. But uh, here he's pretty respectful. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, you know, she's giving him the awkward, uh, you know, the awkward uh, moments of silence where she's probably expecting him to lean in and kiss. He's not going for it. But uh, some other things happen here is uh, she hands, she's like, this came in the mail. It's Cooper's old room key. Yeah. <laughs> Jane <clears throat> gets two rides through in the mailbox. Jane <laughs> gets two rides. I'll <laughs> never get old. And we learned that to us, in twin, you know, for us as watching the show, Laura Palmer is still kind of a, you know, is a thing. And this is something that, that David Lynch is hammering us over the head on. The town's moved on. Yeah. Life has gone on since Laura Palmer died. Beverly has no idea who Agent Cooper was, who Laura Palmer was. And Ben's like, that's a long story. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what, again, these things that Lynch is hitting you over the head with. This, I thought, was one of the more obvious. Yeah. You know, we hold on to the nostalgia of that and the town where this is supposedly taking place, place, they've moved on. Uh, again, Beverly has no idea who Laura Palmer was. I mean, yeah, it was a probably a pretty big thing in 1989, but it's, you know, it's 2016, 2017. She has no record. She has no idea who this is. She, I mean, I don't know if she's from there or what, but, you know, like, the town's moved on. We see this in, like, the Roadhouse scenes, too, and all that. It's just, like, the same shit. They have, still have the same problems, but it's just, like, they're not really dwelling on the past that much. It's kind of like the, I, us, the viewer, dwell on the past of Twin Peaks more than the people in Twin Peaks do. Yes, ap- yes, that's exactly you know, That's exactly the point I was getting at. Is where we, as the audience, are hanging on to these things, and what what basically Lynch is trying to tell you here is stop it, fucking stop it. The town's moved on. The show's moved on. You move on. Um, so. He, you know, eventually he, you know, he tells her very gently to go home. She's done for the day. 
Beverly goes home and we find out her husband has cancer and she just screams at him. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a rough thing to see. Like <clears throat> I'm sure she's frustrated. The character is. But, yes. I mean, that's not an easy scenario for anybody to be in. But yeah, it kind of made, you know, watching it, you know, I've only known this character for like the last five minutes. <laughs> like, what a bitch. <laughs> well, you know, so there's a couple of things I was thinking about this scene. And again, this is another tangent we can go on. It's going to be a delicate tangent. I think uh, we have to, you know, there's going to be some, um, um, correctness i think we're gonna to have to dance around here um obviously he's <clears throat> terminally ill um and she's staying late at work and you know <clears throat> obviously the whole thing is he's concerned that she's cheating you know that she's having an affair and i thought about this you know because you know uh, at that point you know she's got a point and you know, he's got a point. I mean, this is this is one of those situations where I think, you know, she's pissed off because she really, I mean, yes, she wanted to fuck the boss. She does. And she got kind of caught, you know, in that, in, in this, with, with him accusing her. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, he's got to realize she's got a life to live, too. Like, I think about that, you know, my marriage right now, you know, me being, you know, me going through the surgery. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I couldn't do a whole lot this last week. You know, I kind of felt inadequate around the house because um, I'm not allowed to bend over. I'm not allowed to lift. I can't do anything. I couldn't do anything over 10 pounds, still technically can't. Um, and so, I, you know, looking at that scene and kind of uh, thinking about it from, from this guy's point of view, though, if I was terminally ill and I know I'm going to die and I'm in a wheelchair and whatever, you know, let your significant other do what they're going to do. That's kind of my take on it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I guess I see that. But again, like he's on a lot of pain meds too. Uh, drugs exasperate paranoia. Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to see it from her point of view, especially being uh, the, the nurse says right when she gets, she had to give him extra dose of pain meds. Yep. So like you know it's it's a it's one of those things it's like a very real situation like people go through. Uh, I I still don't like her yelling. At her. No, no, I didn't like her yelling at me. It was brutal. Like, it was go upstairs and scream into a pillow, please. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal yeah. because obviously I mean he feels terrible enough, and then she's screaming at him, and you know she's again she's stressed out. She says. I have to go to work, you know, so obviously you get the idea that she wasn't working till he got ill, you know, so there's a lot of stress. And again, this is a real situation that people get into. Um, and I thought that was an interesting look into real, a real dark slice of life that, that Lynch and Frost did here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. And like, we know people who've been in that or we, you know, it's, it's tough. And we're at that age, right? We're, we're yep. enough. We know people in that situation. And, uh, you know, this very real, like, uncomfortable scene is followed up by five onion, five minutes of a guy sweeping the green oh. onions, which I promptly fast forward. I, I'm not going to lie. I did the same thing this time around. Um, I, I'm sorry. Like, people who think it's genius and all that, all the power to you, I'm not going to sit and watch it. I don't get anything out of it. Uh, I get out of thing watching weirdness of, uh, I get the abstracts elements of Eraserhead gives me feelings like that uh the sweeping scene does not <laughs> it does not i do not get anything out of it it's just 
it's I don't. I, I expected some kind of payoff, right? Like if you're gonna do a five minute scene like that, give a payoff, right? This Have you ever is, seen a Lynch movie? <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> I know, I know, this is a Lynch thing, right? But I mean, this I, this was Lynch being Lynch to be Lynch, right? Like he knew what he was doing here. Oh yeah, he knew people weren't gonna like it, and he knew like. People are going to lie about liking it because I've seen a lot of people defend this on social media. And I was just like, why? Why is this the hill you're willing to die on? The five-minute sweeping thing to have it be a phone call with Jean-Michael Renault talking about two 15-year-old prostitutes who had straight A's. Was, it's, it's well, they not... had good IDs, man. They had good IDs. And you need to pay for two. Um, yeah, that's not... That's not extravagant. It that's... also gives us a thing that we didn't even learn from secret history is that the Renaults have owned the Roadhouse for 50 years. Yeah, 50 some odd years the Renaults have owned the Roadhouse. So they're Canadian, so they how do they own a private business in the United You know what? <laughs> we already have enough problems on this podcast figuring out the business dynamics of Twin Peaks. Let's just let that one go. Do you want to get back to go? Do we want to talk about what happened with Ghostwood? Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll get into that when we do uh, final dossier. You're right. Yes, we will. We find so, out what happened with Ghostwood. We do find out what happened with Ghostwood. There, um, I was expecting more Ghostwood, and you know, save Ghostwood in in this season. Uh, <laughs> speaking of saving people, the, the doppelgangers uh, gets his exit, <laughs> along with that fucker Ray. That fucker Ray. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much trouble do you think the warden's going to get in for letting a federal criminal under FBI investigation of the highest order just drive out of his prison? Oh, oh, it's it's not you. I that's the thing. I I if I was the warden, I would have staged a a breakout. You know, a prison I, fight or something where something happened or something. A plausible reason for Mr. C to get out, not just have an open door policy or, you, hey, you and that fucker Ray can just leave. <laughs> like, I mean, well, you know, this is 26, 2016, 2017, maybe, you know, it's the Trump administration. You just pardon them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, we at this point, prison. I mean, have you seen the movie Ricky O? That's what our prison systems are now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so now, you know, Mr. C is out with Ray. Uh, I'm excited because, you know, this, uh, we'll touch on it because it's the part, uh, the more tangible part of the next episode for us to discuss, Uh, part eight, uh, because then it goes into, it goes on a wild ride. (laughs) It does and it's amazing <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah i'm excited i think we both know the part we're ready we we're excited to talk about uh, uh three words over the top i think is where we're going with this over the top <laughs> we're t- of course we're talking about the sylvester stallone arm wrestling <laughs> actually that does come into play later so we'll get to that. that's what i'm talking about that, that's the part i'm excited to talk about so this is followed up by <clears throat> the screen goes black for a while and we hear some weird whatever. Uh, this is kind of prepping us. And this is something I did not re- uh, pick up the first time I saw it. Uh, it was I, after I went, because I, after I saw each part, I'd go on uh, Twin Peaks groups on Facebook and people pointed it out. 
and uh, uh, knowing like this seeing a black transition with the weird noises, it makes sense. Uh, is that we go to the double R and we see a, a time glitch. Oh, uh, a guy, uh, we see the, the, uh, the, the diner from mm-hmm. one side of the, the diner guy comes in yelling about Billy. Yep. And when pans to the other perspective of the other side of the diner is all completely different people in the diner. Interesting. Yeah. Andrew, I did not catch that. I've seen it twice now. I didn't catch it both times. Yeah, it's uh, so that's uh, yeah, so that's kind of evidence that with all this uh, time fuckery from the lodges, uh, it's uh, the real world's experiencing different things now happening in real time. Super crazy. I yeah, that's awesome that that people picked up on that. That's fucking sweet, actually. Yeah. I didn't notice it. And now I notice it, and it's 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 really cleverly done, and it's very subtle. But it took, you know, I mean, you know, people were obsessing with it over this more than either of us, either you or I ever could. Right. And they, they nailed it right away. Like that's a different clientele in the double R. Yeah, and obviously it's because of the yes, it's all the lodge fuckery is fucking with things because. We are. I, I think this is my take on it. That um, you know, this is why the lodge abides by the by the lodge rules. Yes. Right. <clears throat> Bob is fucking it up. <laughs> Bob is fucking it up, and 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 there's a lot of shit that's out of place because Bob is fucking with the rules, um, and it's gonna and the white lodge is gonna fuck with the rules even harder. So we'll see. We'll get at that a little bit later. Um, overall, you know, there's, this is one of those episodes that I think, again, moved the show forward tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the time I didn't feel it, but again, we have, uh, having seen it, gone through it all before, and now we're kind of picking it up as we're watching it and keeping more of a acute eye for things. Yeah. It's, uh, this was pretty big. Like Laura's diary calling back to fire walk with me. Uh, Leland placing him in there to so he wouldn't be busted after Harold's place was they found the secret diary there. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, they're gonna find you know he couldn't just take the diary because that'd be suspicious. Plus Donna and James and all them have already you know Donna especially has already read parts of it, so she knew it's there. It'd be suspicious mm-hmm. if they wouldn't if that would have gone missing altogether. Yeah, yep. this, this moves things along. <laughs> Mr. C is out. <laughs> Mr. C is out of the Buckhorn prison and is going to where he wanted to go, where he was trying to get to before the detour. Um, we also saw, you know, again, you know, Ike the Spike, right? <laughs> I love that he appears by Ike the Spike. Ike the Spike just comes storming out the <laughs> 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 I asked by Cooper like oh that's now just... here's a question we didn't get into it you know we're at the end here but going back to the great northern and the hum what do you think that hum was about oh I know what it is we find out in the the part 17 that's what I thought okay yep uh was this episode dedicated to somebody I I did not see a dedication are you sh- was it? I have a feeling it might. I I I I turned off my 
right player after the episode we got to the credit. Yes, I'm sorry. It was. It was or, dedicated or, to Warren. It was dedicated to Warren. Yeah, I was going to say, because this is the one episode he's in. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, I think it was dedicated to Warren Frost. That's, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yes, and in the notes um, of this, and I, you know, I go through and I look at things. You're right. <clears throat> the customer change during the credits was intentionally made by Lynch, but Frost is unaware of the meeting, of the meaning of it. Yeah, I, I think we nailed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we nailed it. Yeah, Frost, I don't think- Mark Frost is too stupid to understand his own project. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, it's a cop out, right? Like Frost isn't gonna say, like, you know what I mean? He's he's playing the Lynch card. He's not stupid. Um, uh, I'm, I'm gonna say my, I'm gonna say Mark Frost is a dumb piece of shit idiot. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was smart all this long, all this time, and then you read that quote, and now I'm just thinking he's a fucking dummy. <laughs> it's just the guy who got a fucking book signed by him, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that this was again much needed from the last episode. Again, it's been you know for us, you guys, it's been a month. Um, <clears throat> you know, but getting into the parts. Part six was a slow crawl, and then this happened. And this is one of the things that I, you and I have talked about. This is our favorite lunch work, the the entire, the, the return. The One of the only criticisms that I have <clears throat> for it is the pacing of it, right? Um, which is why I've always said, you know, we know it's not going to happen. Why I've always said I'd love to get a movie cut version of it, you know, like without the, without the lodge, you know, without the, like a marathon mode um, for it without the, the, the roadhouse uh, endings and things like that, where it just flows one, one episode to the next. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> this is Lynch's cut. Uh, he finally made his more than five hour long movie by making a 17 hour long movie, 18 hour long movie. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the pacing is what it is. Uh, it's it's part for the course of Lynch. He takes things slow, so when I'm naturally an impatient person, so it's it's very odd that I'm a fan of David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I love it. It's just one of those things to me where I just you know, again, I absolutely this is I this is my seminal Lynch work, right? Because you and I have talked about I really think this is his swan song. He's talking about doing other projects. I don't see it happening. Well, I mean, you never know. <clears throat> I don't think he's going to do anything as ambitious as this. This is his most ambitious, too. Uh, it culminates a lot of almost his whole career with, like, mm-hmm. nods and winks to just about everything that he's done sans Dune. Uh, no, there was Dune references, I think. I think you could make points of, of Dune references here and there as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how much he hates that movie. That'd be, that's interesting. Interesting take, Paul. <laughs> I understand. I think he hates it. But he, he doesn't hate have Final Cut. What's that? He hates it because he didn't have Final Cut. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But there were things that, like, again, even I felt um, in the first uh, first season, uh, twin, uh, 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 the, excuse me, the, sec- the first episode of the second season, uh, where Kyle McLaughlin was laying on the ground basically doing a mantra. That was a complete throwback to Dune. And you see a little bit of that here and there uh, sprinkled in 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 here. Um, kind of the general idea and the philosophies he was trying to get through in, in Dune. 
Um, so yeah, I think there is a little bit of that sprinkle in there. But Joe, we got episode eight coming up next. <laughs> oh, that's gonna that's gonna be a strange one. Uh, <clears throat> again, like the first first part of it uh, is easy to discuss. Then it gets into like probably the most surreal thing I've ever seen Lynch do. <laughs> Oh my God, I was glued. I, I, I we'll get into it uh, next episode, but I was glued to the screen that whole episode. I didn't even want to look away because I thought I was going to miss something. Um, so we'll get to that. Joe, uh, it's been a while. What projects are you working on right now? It's just Joe down. Besides this, in our uh, office podcast, uh, this week we'll be reviewing <laughs> Forrest Gump. <laughs> Ooh, ooh! I, I call that the male chick flick. It's uh, it's uh, happenstance the movie or uh, how boomers see their own history of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you know it's one of those movies that's it's entertaining, but when you start thinking about it, it's like God, that's so fucking stupid. Also, <laughs> <laughs> that's history's great uh, movie. Movie cinema's greatest monster and Jenny. Yeah, yeah, Jenny's a bitch. Jenny's awful. I don't like Jenny. 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 Yeah, Jenny's an awful character. Um, yeah, she's a monster. I completely agree with you on that. All right. Yeah, we got. We've been doing the office now. We'll let you guys know who watch this. Um, we the we're gonna throw away the the thing. The office was going. But we film that one. We do several episodes ahead of time. So that's why the office kept going. The office podcast kept going. And this one and cast that movie did not. So sorry to sorry to ruin the illusion of podcasting for you guys. <laughs> suspicious we never bring up timely items in the office podcast. <laughs> Very suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> We don't talk about what do you think of the news today, Paul? <laughs> Holy shit, could you imagine? Could you imagine it, 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 trying to do that? Just because, especially this news cycle, where every day some other fucking scandal and some other fucking thing is blowing up in our face. Holy shit. <laughs> no. Why, why did we talk about that? That happened fucking six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. But yeah, what's the episode we got coming up this week? I think for, uh, beers, bears, beats, and bobbleheads. This yes. week it is the client. The client, the client. With yes, our good friend Tim Meadows. I love Timmy Meadows. Oh. Yes. Yep, it's going to be the client. Will be that one, and then um, what's going on with, with cast? Uh, cast, with cast? Yeah, cast that movie. We'll be back now. Um, so uh, that will be we're gonna be doing <laughs> the the we're gonna recast the Stephen King um, Emilio Estevez vehicle shit show that was Maximum Overdrive that when I was a kid was constantly on repeat along with the Beastmaster on TNT and TBS. Oh. <laughs> I, full confession, I really like Maximum Overdrive just because it's one of those fantastic bad movies. Oh, yeah. And uh, also the fact that Stephen King was on so much coke, he barely remembers making it. 
<laughs> yes, and was the last movie he ever directed. Uh, first and last movie. <laughs> yeah, first, yeah. Well, I don't know. Didn't he do... He did a short direction in... Um, was it Tales or was it Creepshow? Creepshow. He might have done a segment in Creepshow. Yes, he directed the... That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Okay, fair enough. But yes, he did direct a segment in in Creepshow. And, um, but yes, uh, oh... That movie, um, nine million dollar budget. I thought it had a higher budget than that. It was a nine million dollar budget, and it couldn't even bring that back in. <laughs> so. Well, over time, it has. To be fair, uh, that movie is—it's such a cult classic that over time, it's—it's it's made its money back. Uh, I'm actually tempted to get—I uh, think it's a Shout Factory has a, a special edition of it. I might pick up. Again, I'm sucker for these bad '80s movies. You and I both, man. We grew up with them. We grew up with them. Um, yeah, I, it was Maximum Overdrive, uh, Beastmaster, and Kickboxer. Kickboxer, Kickboxer Bloodsport. Blood I was going to say, I've seen Bloodsport more times than I can count, dude. <laughs> Bloodsport more than any movie I've ever seen, and it's not even like a movie I enjoy. <laughs> no, no. And you know what is another one that I always played to that I hate and I wouldn't watch was 48 hours that was one that they always played 48 hours and another 48 hours and i was like oh god no mm -mm. that is running scared that was not um <laughs> so yeah those are some of those 80s movies that i um always saw and then for their for our um dream project we are going to do the hunter s thompson uh novel fear and loathing on the campaign trail so my we'll favorite hunter thompson book actually uh, that would you and I both. Um, I actually got that um, book from my late aunt. Um, she knew I was super into Hunter S. Thompson at the time, to the point where I was running around. <laughs> I was running around with a uh, with one of those. Um, what do you call them that you put your your, your cigarettes in? Oh, cigarette uh, holder thing. Yeah, yeah, I was running around with a cigarette holder thing and wearing one of his wearing the 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 hat that Hunter S. Thompson had. The bucket hat. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was around the time that I took a trip to a to a festival <laughs> out in Oregon and actually met Hunter S. Thompson. Did I ever tell you that? Did I tell you that story? No, I did not know. Oh, yeah, I went to a um went to a festival that was being held in Oregon in Harrisburg, Eugene, in the Harrisburg Eugene area of Oregon, because this guy had gotten arrested um, for. Um, uh, gotten arrested for a large amount of marijuana possession and decided that he was going to hold a festival to, to try and make himself to get those votes or get the signatures to, so he could run for governor and pardon himself. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm going to that festival. So me and three of my uh, girlfriends got in, a, got in a Buick and drove cross country <laughs> to this fucking to this fucking festival and um i saw uh i saw hunter s thompson there and um i was too afraid to say anything because i thought he would shoot me but i remember standing there in awe just watching it i'm like that is hunter s thompson and my friend christy she was also a huge fan of hunter s thompson um stood there as well and was like holy shit that's hunter s thompson i want to talk to him but I don't want to get shot. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy because around that time, especially Thompson, once after mid '80s, he was pretty much a recluse. He yes. did not go like very rarely would he make appearances like that. So that's crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. It was absolutely, yep, yep. I remember that. We took off in a fucking Buick and, yep, met, I saw Hunter S. Thompson there. That was, yeah, that was, that was the pinnacle of like everything, like culminating into it. So, yeah, we'll be doing Fear Loathing in the campaign trail, which I think is very relevant <laughs> considering what is going on right now. <laughs> oh, no, nothing's going to be stranger than the times, these times. Well, I say that. And then it's fucking gonna get worse. Uh, <laughs> the floodgates have opened. It's gonna yeah. get worse. I mean, we President Caligula is just the beginning of the fall of Rome, oh, man. Oh man, the sequel to this is just. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the sequel. I am not. No, no, no. That's gonna be a box office bomb, dude. Oh. So, yeah, so that's what we got going on with Cast That Movie. Um, so, yeah, we should be getting things back to normal. Um, it was, it's, you know, we were, uh, I thought, I really thought we were going to be a little bit more rusty than what we were this episode. Um, but I'm glad that we're doing this again. I am, too. It's it's fun to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it, so. Well, we got episode eight next week, so I guess, you know, you got any parting words there, Joe? Got a light? 